Good morning, Church. Today's scripture reading is from the book of Second uh, Samuel, chapter seven one to five seven um, one to five and seven one to eleven to thirteen and seven sixteen to seventeen. Now, when the king lived in his house, and the Lord had had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet. See how dwell. See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan: Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, Would you, you would you build me a house to dwell in? Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And your house and your kingdom shall be made uh, sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever, in accordance with all these words, and in accordance with all this division. In with all this division, Nathan spoke to David. Second Samuel, um, chapter twelve, verses one to ten and thirteen to fifteen. And the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, "There were two men in certain city; the one rich and the other poor." The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little old lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up, and it grew up with him and with his children. It used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms, and it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guests, who had come to him, but he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die, and he shall restore the lamb of lamb fourfold, because he did this thing, and because he had pit, he had no pity. Nathan said, said to David, You are the man, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. I, anoint, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. And I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms, and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this is worth too little, I would add to you as much more. Why? Have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah and Hittite with a sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of Ammonites. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah and Hittite to be your wife. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said, said to David, The Lord also has put away your sin, you shall not die. Nevertheless, because by, his, by this de deed you have 
utterly scorn the Lord. The child who is born to you shall die. Then Nathan went to his house. First Kings uh, chapter 1, 5 to 6, 11 to 14, 32 to 34, and 38 to 39. Now Adonijah, the son of Haggit, exalted him, saying, I will be king. And he prepared for himself chariots and horsemen, and 50 men to run before him. His father had never at any time displeased him by asking, Why have you done thus and so? He was also a very handsome man, and he was born next after Absalom. Then Nathan said to Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon, Have you not heard that Adonijah, the son of Haggit, has become king, and David our Lord does not know, does not know it? Now therefore come, let me give you advice that you may save your own life and the life of your own of your son Solomon. Go in in at once to King David and say to him, Did you not did you not, my lord the king, swear to your servant, saying, Solomon, your son shall reign after me, and he shall sit on my throne? Why this is Adonijah king? Then while you are still speaking with the king, I also will come in after you and confirm your words. King David said, Call to me uh, Sadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, and Abinaya the son of uh, Jehudiah, Jehoiada. So they came before the king, and the king said to them, Take with you the servants of your lord, and have Solomon my son ride on my own mule, and bring him down to Gihon. And let Sadok the priest and Nathan the prophet there anoint him king over Israel. Then blow the trumpet and say, Long live King Solomon. So Sadok the priest, Nathan and the prophet, and Benaiah the son of Jehodiah, and the Cherisites and the Pelitites went down and had Solomon ride on King David's mule and brought him to Gihon. There Sadok the priest took the horn of oil from the tent and anointed Solomon. Then they blew the trumpet and all the people said, Long live King Solomon. Thank you, Bang. Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you all. So this fall, we have been looking at a series on relationships, and we've been specifically looking at relationships through the lens of different relationships in King David's life. So we've seen how David relates to people in authority over him, how he relates to friends and to enemies, to the various women that he was married to. And there have been plenty of good things that David does that we can learn from. There have been plenty of bad things that David has done that we also can learn from. That's one of the great things about the Bible. It is honest about the faults and failures of its heroes, right? It doesn't ask us to pretend that David is perfect, that he never does anything wrong. It shows us his dark sides as well, because it's all part of the real picture of who he is. And there's stuff we can learn from all of it, right? The only perfect hero in the Bible who never does anything wrong is Jesus. And so as we've looked at David, we've seen good things, we've seen bad things, and we've tried to see what we can learn from all of it. And today, we're going to look at David's relationship with Nathan and see what we can learn from it. And we've been having trouble with the projectors today, so if the slides aren't up there, that's okay. You can still listen. Um, but hopefully we get that sorted out. 
But Nathan was a prophet. And other than that, we know basically nothing about him. On one level, he's not that big of a character in David's story. He only shows up three times in David's life. Some people in David's story show up far more often than Nathan. And yet on another level, Nathan is an extremely major character in David's life because every time that he does show up, it's a major moment in David's life. And in each of these moments, Nathan speaks words of guidance and truth to David that reshape David's future. So as we look at David's relationship with Nathan, we're going to talk about how to relate to advisors or counselors, the people who give us advice and share wisdom with us. And we'll see that godly advisors are essential ingredients in godly lives. That's our big idea today, if you're taking notes. Godly advisors are essential ingredients in godly lives. And we'll look at a few things godly advisors do. They speak God's words. They speak in a way that connects. They pursue our good. And then we'll talk about seeking godly advisors today. But first, let's pray. Father, we thank you for today, for this chance to gather as your people, to worship you together, and just to look at your word and learn from you. And we pray that you would be speaking to us right now, showing us how to live in a way that honors you. In Jesus' name, amen. So the first thing we see from David's relationship with Nathan is that godly advisors speak God's words. So the first scene where Nathan appears that we just looked at, David, he's finally settled in his kingdom. He has built himself a great palace to live in, but there's a problem. David sees a problem at least. He looks around and he says, I, as a human being, have this wonderful, beautiful palace to live in but the ark of the God of the universe who created everything is in a tent. Shouldn't the God of the universe have better accommodation than me? And because David loves God, he wants to fix this problem, but he's learned through past experience that when he tries to do things for God, but he does it on his own initiative and in his own way, it can lead to trouble. And so rather than just say, this needs to be fixed, let's do it. He decides first, let me ask Nathan, the prophet, whether this is actually a good idea, whether this is actually something God wants. And and David goes to Nathan. We don't know how they knew each other, but somehow they did. And we see through the simple fact that David comes to Nathan with this question, that David trusts Nathan. We'll see throughout this their interactions, that David trusts Nathan because Nathan acts in trustworthy ways towards David. In any relationship where advice is being given, trust is so important and foundational for that relationship. A foundation of trust allows the words of truth being spoken to be heard. And as words of truth are spoken and acted upon, it deepens that trust so that more truth can be spoken in the future. And we see that in David and Nathan's relationship. But the really interesting thing, the first time David comes to Nathan, he's like, you know, I live in this palace. God lives in a tent. I think I should do something about that. And Nathan just says, sounds good. Go for it. Did you notice that? He doesn't stop to pray about the idea. He doesn't like do some special ceremony to seek God's will. He just recognizes this is a godly king. 
He has a good track record of doing things that please and honor God. I don't see any biblical problems with what he wants to do. So go for it. And a lot of times, that's how relationships with advisors, even godly ones, work. You have a good idea, they affirm the good idea, off you go. The Bible doesn't actually give us any indication that Nathan did anything wrong by saying, yeah, go for it, right? Like even Jesus, right? The, the wisest guy who ever lived. Oftentimes people come up to him, they ask a question and he just gives an answer, gives advice without, he's not, not like, let me stop and pray about this before I give the answer. He just gives the answer. And, and a lot of times that's how it works with advisors. But in this situation, something unique happens. Nathan goes home and when he gets home, God speaks to him. And God's words to Nathan are totally different than what Nathan initially expected God to say. God actually tells Nathan, David will not build me a temple. So Nathan goes back, he repeats God's words to David. And again, we see his integrity and his trustworthiness. A lot of people in our world who give advice pride themselves on, on being right. It takes a lot of guts, a lot of integrity to come back and say, actually, I got it wrong. Sorry, let's, let's fix this, try again, right? But Nathan does that. He has a sensitivity to God's voice that allows him to hear when God speaks and a humility that allows him to admit when he's wrong. Those are key traits in godly advisors, a sensitivity to God's voice to hear when he speaks and the humility to admit when maybe we got things wrong before. And the message that God has Nathan deliver to David, it's, it's good news and bad news. The bad news, David is not gonna build a house for God. The good news, God will build a house for David. God will establish David's family as the kings for generations and set up a dynasty. And one of David's sons will build this house for God. So Nathan listens to God, he hears God's message, he delivers it to David, and it's mostly good news. But there's another time in David's life where Nathan, as a prophet, as a godly advisor, has to speak God's words and truth to David, even when it's not good news. That's the second interaction we looked at today in 2 Samuel chapter 12. David has just stolen his neighbor's wife, and then murdered his neighbor to cover it up. And God is not happy about this. So he sends Nathan in to speak truth to David, to, to rebuke David. And despite the tension of the situation, despite the fact that, that Nathan was probably fearing for his life at this moment, because David could be known to be a little hot-headed at times, and you don't want to be the one who's like, you did something wrong by murdering this guy. Uh, but Nathan, as a godly advisor, despite any fears he may have had, he goes in and he speaks God's truth to David, even when it's not popular, even when it may cost him. Godly advisors speak God's words, God's truth to those they advise. So a few thoughts on this for our world today. If you are someone who's like, I could use a godly advisor in my life, that would be a helpful thing for me to have. As you're thinking about who could be good people to fill that role, some questions to ask yourself are, are the words they speak words that come from God? Not in the sense that like every time they open their mouth, they're quoting the Bible to you, but in the sense that do the things they say align with God's truth in the Bible? 
Also, are they able to give you a balance of good news and bad news? You know, we all love to hear good news, but if we have someone who just every single word they say to us is positive and cheering us on and telling us how great they are, how great we are, eventually you start to wonder whether they're really being fully honest with you. Because we all have areas where we need to learn, we need to grow, we need to improve. And if they're not willing to speak to us about that, then they're not actually speaking God's full truth to us. On the flip side, if everything they say to you is negative, constructive criticism, ways that you need to change and grow. It might all be true, but if they can never find anything positive to say, it's going to be a really discouraging relationship, right? And so you want someone who can give you that balance of the good news and the bad news. If you're someone who's like, I, I feel like I want to be a godly advisor to other people, a couple of things for you to consider. Do you know how to hear from God yourself? If you can't hear from God, how can you be expected to speak God's words to others? If you want to be a godly advisor and you don't know how to hear from God, maybe a good first step is to find a godly advisor of your own who can help you learn, how can I hear from God? And also, if you want to be a godly advisor, are you trustworthy? Can people count on you to speak the truth, even if it's going to cost you? Growth in these areas will go a long way towards helping you become the type of advisor that people want to hear from. So godly advisors, they speak God's words, but that's not all they do. They also speak in ways that connect. Did you notice there's three separate times in David's life where Nathan shows up and and talks to him. And every single time Nathan shows up, they have a different style of interaction. In the first one, David asks a question Nathan gives an answer and then realizes like, oh, actually God has a different answer. So I'm coming back to correct that. In the second one, Nathan comes and tells a story and then uses that as his way of rebuking David. And in the third one, Nathan comes and Nathan is asking questions of David. Nathan, as a a godly advisor, he demonstrates great care and skill in the way that he presents information. He tailors his speaking to forms that will be heard and understood and acted upon properly in each different situation where he interacts with David. I mean, think about the time that Nathan goes to confront David about killing his neighbor Uriah. Nathan could have walked into the throne room and screamed out, how dare you? You just murdered a man who did nothing wrong. He would have delivered the truth. That's what he was sent to do, right? But if he did that, how would David have responded if that's the first lines out of his mouth when he comes in? If David's anything like me, he's going to get very defensive. Even if he knows that what he did was wrong, he's just going to find ways to try and justify himself and defend himself because his back's against the wall and he feels like he needs to protect himself. But instead of going in guns blazing, Nathan goes in with a story and the story invites David in. It makes him feel comfortable. It invites him to look at this situation from the perspective of the judge rather than the perspective of the guilty party. And then only after David has gotten emotionally involved in the story and given a highly emotional response, does Nathan clarify that actually this story is about you and the things that you've done. Nathan, he has this incredible skill in presenting the truth to David 
And it allows David to hear the truth in a way that never would have been possible if Nathan came in guns blazing and dropping truth bombs on David. It allows David to pass judgment on himself and feel the full weight of that judgment before he even realizes that this story is about him. And to be clear, using stories to share the truth, it takes a lot of skill and practice. You are not born with this ability. If you wanna be good at this, it will take a lot of work. You'll probably get it wrong many times, but if you're willing to put in the work, it can be a really powerful tool for sharing the truth. But again, Nathan doesn't always tell stories to get the truth across. He adapts the message, the way he presents the message for each context. So near the end of David's life, David's son, Adonijah, is trying to set himself up as the next king of Israel, which was bad news for the country. Now, on one level, Adonijah is, at this point, the oldest surviving son of David. So from a human perspective, it seems like he should be the next king. But David, out of the 12 tribes of Israel, he is from the tribe of Judah. He has always had Judah's support. One of the great works of his life was to try and unite all 12 tribes under his leadership. It took a lot of work for him to get the support of the entire country. And when Adonijah goes to set himself up as king, who does he rely on for his support? The old boys club from Judah, right? He's got all his dad's friends from before the country was unified to back him. He's, he's setting up a start to his reign in a way that's gonna totally undermine everything his dad has spent his life trying to accomplish. It is bad news for the country if Adonijah becomes king. Not only that, but it also seems that Adonijah is acting against David's will by trying to become king. Right? Nathan tells about a promise that David apparently made at some point to his wife Bathsheba that her son Solomon would be king. We don't know anything about this promise or when it was made, but David affirms that he actually said this later on. So Adonijah, in trying to become king, he's acting against David's will and he's doing things that will threaten the stability of the nation. And so when Nathan sees what's going on, he goes in to talk to David about it. He doesn't tell David a story to get David's attention. Why not? Well, there's several reasons. For one thing, stories are much slower ways of communicating the truth. It takes more time to share the story, to connect it to real life. And this is a situation that requires urgency. Also, Nathan realizes this is a totally different situation than confronting David about Uriah. Like, it's far less likely that if David hears about what's happening directly in this situation, he's going to get defensive. No, he's more likely to get upset and move into action. And so you don't need to be as subtle in this situation as you were before. But Nathan also realizes this is a situation where David needs to come up with a plan and a solution on his own. So I'm not going to go in and tell a story but I'm also not gonna go in and be like, David, here's what you have to do. He goes in with questions, pointing out things that everyone on the street already knew, but trusting that David will take the proper steps to take action once he's fully aware of what's happening. And David does that. So again, a few thoughts in our world today on what this looks like. If you're looking for a godly advisor, does the person that you're thinking of as a potential advisor are they able to present tough truth in ways that you're able to hear? I know even if it's presented as skillfully as possible, it's still so hard to listen to hard truth. 
But when you struggle to hear hard truths, is the problem that your pride and defensiveness keep you from hearing it? Or is it actually that the person presenting the truth lacks some skill in how to do it? Do they know how to share the message in the way that's needed in this situation? Or do they always present the truth like in a super in your face way where you're like, whoa, or are they just too indirect sort of talking around the truth, never actually getting to the issue? And you're like, I don't actually understand what you're trying to say right here, right? There are problems on both sides. And if it is a lack of skill on their part, that does not automatically mean that they're not a fit to be your advisor. Maybe there's a way that you can help them grow in their skill, give them feedback so they can learn and improve. Are they willing to learn and improve and grow and work on figuring out how to share the truth with you in ways that will connect? But also remember, if the thing keeping you from hearing the truth is your pride or defensiveness, those are things that you need to grow and work on so that you can learn how to hear and understand the truth. If you're someone here who wants to be a godly advisor to others, Ask yourself, when I share hard truths with people, how are they usually received? Do people tend to listen to me or do they tend more often to get defensive? And again, you're not going to get the response you dream of 100% of the time. But when you get a response that's less than what you were hoping for, as the advisor, it can be really easy to just blame the listener and be like, ah, they're just unwilling to listen. They're not, they're not able to hear the truth right now. But if that's your tendency, how much work are you putting into presenting the truth in a way that they'll be willing to hear? How much thought and prayer are you putting into things like the timing and the way of when you deliver the message? It's really hard to do well. I know that if your personality is to be a truth speaker, there can be this tendency inside you to be like, when I learn the truth, I must speak immediately. I know this because I have this tendency in myself. But something really interesting about this story, David kills Uriah probably about a month into Bathsheba's pregnancy. Nathan probably heard about it through palace gossip not long after it happened. But he doesn't come to confront David until after the baby is born. That's at least seven or eight months of knowing the truth and just waiting and waiting and waiting for the right moment to speak it. Just because you know the truth and the truth needs to be spoken doesn't mean that this is the moment when it must be spoken. Sometimes it does, but not always. And again, learning when and how to speak the truth gives so much more power to the way that we share it. And so if you want to be a godly advisor. Remember, you need to work on how you present the truth. You need to work on listening to God for when the right time is to present the truth. And again, if you're struggling to do this well, think of godly advisors who have spoken the truth to you before. What are the things that they did that helped you be able to hear what they were saying? Learn from them. Maybe even have a conversation with them and ask them, you seem to be able to speak the truth in ways that connect with me. How do you do that? and learn from them. How can you learn and grow in your skill of, of speaking the truth in ways that people are able to hear and listen to? So godly advisors, they speak God's words, they speak in ways that connect, and third, they seek your good, right? We, we have all seen 
advising go wrong. Whether it's because someone, usually they just don't care. They care more about themselves than about the person they're advising. Maybe it's the mom who just can't let go of their grown-up child, so they try and micromanage every part of their life. Maybe it's, you know, your office has like a, a mentorship program where people who have been there longer can sign up to mentor new people. And some mentors sign up, not with any intention of actually mentoring people, but because they know it'll look good for the boss that their name's on the list. And then they do nothing for the people they're supposed to be helping. Right? When we see the person in that advising role acting with selfish motives, not caring about the person they're advising, it's a clear sign that this advising relationship has gone wrong, which is why it's so important that godly advisors seek the good of the people they advise. And Nathan's behavior demonstrates that he truly cares about the good of King David. You notice he keeps his eyes open. He listens to what's going on in the kingdom. How are these things going to affect David? When he realizes that Adonijah, who by worldly standards should have been the next king, declares himself king and has support from top military and religious leaders, Nathan steps in and takes action to pursue David's good. He comes up with a plan for how to let David know about what's happening, and then he does something about it. And then when David himself comes up with a plan for how to respond and put his proper son Solomon on the throne, Nathan takes action to be part of that plan. Realize when, when David asks Nathan to be part of Solomon's coronation ceremony, Nathan is putting his life in danger by doing that, right? Adonijah has the support of Israel's longtime top military leader. If, if they catch wind of what's happening and they can raise up the army, they can come in and wipe out Solomon's supporters. And the, the key inner circle who's actively working to put Solomon on the throne, they're all dead, but Nathan cares about David. He's willing to risk his life to ensure David's legacy. And thankfully, the plan succeeds. David's legacy is secured. Nathan, as a godly advisor, seeks the good of the one he's advising. So again, a few thoughts for today. If you're looking for a godly advisor, thinking of who could do this role well, does this person care about your good? Are they willing to make sacrifices to seek your good? Or do they simply like being in a position where they have authority and other people have to sort of listen to them and do what they say? If that's them, beware them. Because people who just like having power and could care less about your good are dangerous advisors. If you want to be a godly advisor, ask yourself, do I see this role primarily as one of power or as one of service? The, the answer to that question is going to drastically impact the way that you approach your role of advising others. So with Nathan, he has a huge impact on these three different scenes from David's life. He speaks God's words of promise and hope for the future of David's family. He confronts David after David murders Uriah and helps David get back to a way of living that honors God. He helps David ensure that the proper son takes over as king after him and secures David's legacy. David's ability to live a godly life and secure his legacy is made possible in large part because of Nathan's role in his life. And so with that in mind, let's, let's look at seeking godly advisors today because the same thing is true for us today. If you and I want to live godly lives, we need godly advisors who can walk alongside us in life.
on one level, I think most of the things we've said about Nathan and his role as an advisor are things that you don't necessarily have to be a Christian to see as valuable in an advisor. If you go to a business conference and they're talking about finding mentors and advisors in the workplace, they're going to tell you, you want someone who can speak the truth to you. You're going to want someone who can speak in ways that connect with you. You're going to want someone who seeks your good. Those are all normal things that anyone doesn't have to be a Christian to recognize the value of. And on one level, we should probably expect that, right? If God is the one who designed the world and he structured it to work a certain way, then the ways that the Bible show us as the ways that work for living right should be played out in our world, right? The Bible has an entire book of, it's called Proverbs, about written, it's written about how to live wisely. If the Bible is true, then when people in our world observe how life works best and it lines up with things that the Bible says for thousands of years, it shouldn't surprise us. And the book of Proverbs talks very highly about having godly advisors. But there's one thing we see in Nathan and David's relationship and in the book of Proverbs that sets this relationship apart from the one you'd hear about in that business conference. And that ingredient is something called the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is this recognition of how big and real God is and a reorienting of your life around him as your central reality in life. So Proverbs chapter nine, verse 10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. See this ingredient, the fear of the Lord, it's the thing that sets a godly advisor apart from a regular advisor. To be a godly advisor, it's not just that they say things to you that are generally true, but that they speak God's truth to you. It's not just that they communicate in ways that connect with you and that you can understand, but they speak in such a way that as they speak, you can hear God speaking to you. When they seek your good, it's not just that they're trying to help you make more money or advance in your career. They might do those things, but beyond those things, they're trying to help you connect with God and become the person that he has designed you to be. And the Bible says that the greatest advisor of all is actually God himself. Isaiah chapter nine, verse six, talks about a baby who will be born, who will be called the wonderful counselor. This verse, it's referring to Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate godly advisor or counselor. Jesus doesn't just speak God's words to us. The Bible says that he is God's word made flesh. Jesus, the, the eternal God who created the universe, takes on human flesh so that we can understand and connect with him so he can communicate in a way we can connect with. And we saw that Nathan risked his life to pursue David's good, but Jesus doesn't just risk his life. He sacrifices and lays down his life for our good so we can have access to the ultimate good in eternity, knowing and loving and being known and loved by God. And the Bible teaches us that if you trust Jesus to give you this new relationship with God through his death and resurrection, that he sends his Holy Spirit to live inside of you and guide you or advise you every single day. See, the Holy Spirit is the greatest advisor we can have. That being said, if we try and listen exclusively to the Holy Spirit without also receiving guidance from other Christians and reading God's word, 
we're going to have huge problems actually properly hearing what the Holy Spirit is saying to us, and it's going to go in very bad and harmful directions. The Holy Spirit is the ultimate advisor we can have, but unless we learn to follow him and hear from him properly, our best efforts to follow him are going to lead to disaster. And part of the process of learning to hear properly from the Holy Spirit is learning to hear from other mature Christians as they walk alongside us in life and help us grow closer to God, just like David listened to Nathan. The Christian life was never meant to be lived in isolation from other Christians or on our own. Other Christians are one of God's primary tools, his primary gifts to help us be able to hear from and understand the Holy Spirit inside of us. And one of the big things we learned from this story of David and Nathan is that we never outgrow our need for godly advisors and friends, right? From a maturity perspective, David was called a man after God's own heart. I don't know that anyone in this room will ever reach that level. And yet, despite the fact that he was at that level, he fell into horrible sin. He, he murdered his neighbor. And someone who was so mature that they were a man after God's own heart needed a godly advisor to help get them right back on the right path for life. If David, such a mature and godly man, was capable of so much evil and needed help from a godly advisor, how much more do you and I need that? We also see that we never get too old to outgrow our need for advisors. In this scene where Adonijah is trying to become king, David is old, right? He's senile, he's bedridden, he, his body can't keep itself warm anymore. He's basically on his deathbed. And even then, he still needs godly advisors to help him be able to live properly. Nobody outgrows their need for godly advisors, including godly advisors themselves. See, up till this point in the sermon, I've, I've sort of been talking as if people who need godly advisors and people who are godly advisors are two separate groups of people. But hopefully, all of us fit into both of those groups. Because you'll never be a truly godly advisor unless you have advisors of your own who are helping you grow. And God's plan is that every Christian would not just learn from godly advisors, but take the things that they've learned and teach it to the next generation and help others grow closer to him as well. See, the church is meant to be a family where all of us contribute to one another and invest in one another and help one another learn and grow so that we can help one another get closer to God. So church, godly advisors are essential ingredients in godly lives. They speak God's words to those they advise. They speak in ways that connect. They seek the good of those they advise. And if you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit is your ultimate advisor. But in order to hear from him properly, you need other Christians speaking to you, teaching you God's truth so that you can really hear him properly. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for sending David godly advisors in Nathan and Samuel and many other people throughout his life. And we thank you that you still speak to us today. We pray that you would give us humility to hear your word, whether it's from the Bible, whether it's from you speaking directly to us, whether it's from other Christians. Um, yeah, just give us humility to listen to you. Please show us who are good godly advisors for us to listen to so that we can know you more deeply and follow you each day. In Jesus' name, amen.